Um, today when we pray, we're actually going to pray against fear, fear of the future, which is interesting with all of this stuff going on, and um, fear of man. So that's what we can look forward to when we actually pray today. So I'm going to um, pray and then preach as quickly as I can, and then we'll get into praying together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Without you, Lord, it is impossible for man to be saved, but with God, everything is possible. So people are saved because of you, Lord Jesus, and we're so thankful that we are saved because of you, Lord Jesus, for eternity, but also a life filled with obedience toward you, Lord Jesus, that we are disciples of yours and that we hear from you and that we listen and that we move and we act and we follow you, Lord. So I just pray a thankful prayer. Lord, we didn't deserve for you to have your eye put on us, but you did, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we all pray through the Spirit. Amen. So the rich young man, the rich young ruler, uh, sets out on his journey, finds Jesus, runs up to him, kneels before him, and starts this conversation. And there's a few lines in this conversation that I really want to pull out and uh, just spend some time on this morning as we're here together. And the first one was he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pauses the conversation and he says, why do you call me good? Because no one is good except God alone. No one is good except God alone. That's true. Jesus is telling the truth, but I want for you to see that Jesus is deferring to his Father in heaven. He does this all throughout Scripture. Whenever you see Jesus, he's excited about deferring from him worship to God, his Father, to Yahweh. And Jesus is deferring to Yahweh right here. And this is ironic because before the foundation of the world and before Jesus was born to a woman and before Jesus walked on this earth and was exposed to humanity in the way that he was, that Jesus was or is Yahweh. He is in the beginning with God. He is God, Yahweh. That's the translation of God in both Old Testament and New Testament the, the, the premier understanding of the word God is Yahweh. And it comes from a Hebrew word which has no consonants. We put consonants in it, but Hebrew doesn't have consonants. It's yod heh vav heh It's four letters, Y-H-V-H, Yahweh. And it simply means I am in Hebrew. I am is simply present tense, always present tense present tense. God is always present tense. God is always now. In the past, God is now. In the future, God is now. Right now, God is now. He exists. He always has been now. He always will be now. He will always exist. And it lets us know a couple of things. One, that time is a construct that we all live in. And two, that God is outside of that construct because he simply is forever now, I am. That's the only way for God to describe himself with language to say, I exist now. I exist in all points of time, now and before time existed, now and when time ends, in the future and the past, I am. God says, I exist. And in Jewish culture, this is so 
significant because Jewish people worshipped Yahweh. They worshipped the God who exists now and forever. And they would say things like, there is no other God outside of Yahweh. And that's true because every other God, there are no other gods, but they had little gods that they worshipped which were either ideologies or demonic influence. He would say, I am. They, none of those gods can say, I am. None of those gods can say, I am forever, now, in the past, and in the future. No other god can say, I am. So when Jesus started to use this language, this is significant, and we'll talk about that. But other gods are not wor- to be worshipped because they are not Yahweh. They are not, I am. But Jesus crosses this line in John 8, 24. Listen to what he says. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Oh, I am. We see it there. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, how do we know that Jesus just isn't using the Greek language to communicate out to the Pharisees that he was trying to teach and the teachers of the law that he was talking with. Well, the reason we know that is the next verse after Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, the Jews picked up stones to throw at him to kill him, right? They're wanting to say there are no other gods besides Yahweh, and you're saying that you are Yahweh? Whoa, we're going to pick up stones. We're going to put an end to this. Based on their reactions, he had said something that was infuriating to them. He put himself on the same level as Yahweh, yod heh vav heh the God of the Old Testament who says, I am, I exist. I think it's interesting, this word Yahweh. Like I said, we put an A in there and an E in there to make it more English, but in Hebrew, it would have there wouldn't have been a Yahweh or a Yahweh. It'd be more like, think about that. Scholars and rabbis have noted that these letters are like a breath. Think about it. Right? When a baby is born, what does it start to do? It starts to proclaim, It's it's a breath pronounced without intervening vowels, it actually sounds like breathing. A deep sigh, or a groan, or a grasp that's too heavy for words. That even an atheist, when he breathes, speaks the name of Yahweh, the name of God who says, I am and I exist, unaware that their very breath is proclaiming his name. A person leaves this earth with their last breath, when God's name is no longer filling their lungs. So when I can't utter anything else, my cry calls out his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Being alive means I speak his name constantly. In sadness, we breathe heavy sighs. In joy, our lungs feel like they will burst. In fear, we hold our breath. And what do they say when we're fearful? Breathe. Take a deep breath to find our courage. Breathing is giving God praise. It's praising the name of Yahweh. Jeff Vanderstelt brought that 
illustration to mind, and I thought it was it's beautiful and true that our every breath proclaims the name of Yahweh. And Jesus is saying that he is that person. From before time, he's Yahweh. Yahweh. Jesus is now always. And so when the rich young ruler came to see Jesus, he reaffirmed that God alone is to be prayed. He deferred from himself to Yahweh. No one is good except Yahweh alone, he says. He's deferring to his father. Yahweh the son is deferring to Yahweh the father. This is humility. He is Yahweh, and he's deferring to his father in heaven. Jesus humbled himself from being identified as Yahweh to a carpenter's son, to a human being, to a rabbi, to a man. He deferred to his father in humility. We can tell this by this command that he gives the rich young ruler. Listen to what he says. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Jesus did not give a command that he had not already kept. Jesus had everything before he became a, a, a man, and he gave it all up. He gives to the poor. You and I have salvation, eternal salvation. From who? From Jesus giving his life to us. And we have treasure in heaven because Jesus condescended. He humbled himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, in the form of Yahweh, did not count equality with Yahweh a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's what's happening with Jesus. When you see the man Jesus, you're seeing a humble God man. He gave everything he had in former glory away, gone, given away. He did this to defer to his Father in heaven and to serve us. This is the definition of humility. The mindset of Christ is a servant's mindset. It's a focus on God and others, a pursuit of the recognition and exaltation of God and a desire to glorify and please God in all things that he has given. Jesus simply embodied humility. So can you imagine why God is so pleased with Jesus? Like when he says that I am pleased with Jesus in the scriptures? How would the Father answer Jesus' prayers? In juxtaposition, Proverbs 16 says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 8, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, God says. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did you know it's possible to fake humility, to feign it, right? Like, look at these words. Uh, the rich young man comes up to Jesus as he was setting out on his journey. He ran up and he knelt before him. 
Okay, this is a very public display of what we would think is humility, and we would be fooled. It's, he kneeled before Jesus, but this is feigned humility. It's fake. It's possible for us to feign it or fake it, and I'll, I'll tell you why in just a minute, but we can use our words to make other people think that we're humble. He ran up. He knelt before him. This is akin to praying very humbly in public, but not being humble in private. This is like kneeling before God with our words so that others will think that we're humble. Wow, listen to the words that he used. He must be humble, but Jesus saw through this guy. Then he says, uh, Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, defraud, honor your father and mother. What does he say to him? Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. What? You kept every single one of the commandments from your youth. Jesus saw through that. And pride is loaded with blindness. Global statements. I would never do that. I always do that. This is pride. Jesus saw through that. Like, that's our own diaper war. Like, it's filled. I can't say it because I'm in church. But Jesus saw through it. He saw through the brown, stinking lies. I've kept every... All these since my youth. See, our flesh is bent toward pride. Pride's an easy snare for us. It's spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates us. It blinds us. It's idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. While they're up there on high in their thinking, they're blind. They're blinded to their pride. They're blinded to God's truth and sometimes even blinded to simple reality. This is written by Stuart Scott who wrote a book called From Pride to Humility. But Jesus sees through this and he says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. See, humility is a repentance of pride. See, we, pride puffs up and pride is blind and pride says I've always done this perfectly and I I don't I, there's nothing wrong inside of me and Jesus is saying no I I'm Jesus I'm Yahweh you're not and it's not just words only words are confession and they are important but repentance is action so Jesus says go sell all that you have give to the poor then you will have treasure in heaven come and follow me it's a turning, it's active. Repentance is this long-term life change with our actions. Jesus told him to go and act, and that was repentance. Follow me, act. It's probably safe to say that humility is that one character that we need in order to be Christ-like. We cannot come to God without humility. Think about that. It's God's salvation Save me according to your salvation is the Old Testament moniker. And for us to be able to say that with him, we have to humble ourselves. It's not save me according to my works. I have to humble myself. We cannot come to God without it. Save me. I'm crying out to you for salvation. If you walk with Jesus, if you call him your Lord, there is some time in your life where you have humbled yourself to follow him, where you've turned from yourself to him. That's called humbling yourself or humility. 
to humble yourself is to turn and to follow Jesus. We cannot love God supremely without humility. We can't be effective witnesses without it. We cannot love and serve others without it. We cannot lead our families in a godly way without humility. We certainly cannot resolve conflict without humility. We cannot deal rightly with the sins of others without it. In short, we must embrace and live out humility to truly live and be whom God wants us to be as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. When we follow him, we humble ourselves. But if you're like me, sometimes it's really difficult to repent of pride. Part of it is that it's so blinding. Like pride is blinding. I'm not like that is what our heart tells us. I have kept all God's laws from when I was a kid. We live in a reality that is not a reality. This is what causes prideful men and women to repent of that pride is these two words in verse 21. Jesus looked at the prideful, arrogant, rich, young ruler. He looked at him. He loved him. Wow. He loved the prideful one. This is what causes us to repent, to turn from pride, is Jesus' deep mercy for us, his grace for us, his vision for us, his power over us. We are wooed in by the fact that Jesus still loves us in our pride. And I think one of the ways the Bible illustrates this, I love this illustration, is Jesus is in a boat and the disciples wake him up because they're fearing that they're going to die. And it says that he looked up at the sky and he rebuked the wind. He used his hand against the wind. He rebuked it. He said, be calm. And the seas immediately were calmed. He said, peace, be still. And then they said, who is it that the wind and the sea obey him? This is, I, I imagine that this is Jesus and our pride. Peace, be still, that he would rebuke our pride. And who is it that our pride would obey? It's Jesus, it's Yahweh, it's humble Yahweh, Jesus. So it's our prayer that you would push us toward you in our pride, that we would humble ourselves, that we would be stilled by your rebuking of our pride, Lord Jesus, because you love us. So we're going to move into a time of prayer. We still have a few minutes to pray together. So um, the ways that I want for us to pray today, um, as, just as a reminder, we've been breaking up into little pods of three to five people or, or whatever, but today we're going to do it a little bit differently because I want to pray about fear. Fear is just a, a movement of pride that we don't know what's going to happen. So what do we do is we try and protect ourselves. And so I'm going to have prayer team over here against the wall like they would normally be after the service, except they'll be there during this time. So if you don't feel comfortable praying in a group about your fear, then you can go and pray with them one-on-one. -on -one. But the first prayer prompt is fear of the future. God says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Redeemer Church, let me read this over you again. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So faith is being content with, with what God has for you in the future, that he loves you, that he cares about you, 
more than your family than even you possibly could. So pray that God would heal us from fear of the future. The second one is fear of man. Galatians 1.10, for I'm I now seeking the approval of man or of God. Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pride is being too concerned with about the opinions of others, focusing on their approval or their esteem. It comes out when we're devastated or angered by the criticism of others. We cannot bear that others see us as imperfect or weak in other people's eyes. You know, when I pray against pride in my own life, the first thing I do is I ask God, make it so I can see my pride. That's the first step in humility because pride is blinding. So praying that God would make the pride evident to you and move toward him and say, okay, what do you want me to do with that now that I see it? Help me. Give me the ability to dismantle that pride in my heart, to not love it any longer. So I will digress as of now. So if you guys want to get together and start to pray through some of these things, and at the end, as these prompts go through, I'll go ahead and come back up here and transition us into the last part of our time together. So pray away. Thanks. Thanks.